Hi everybody, my name is Stephanie and I'm excited to be with you as a guest speaker today. And um, I gotta tell you, normally uh, guest speakers do uh, like some sort of funny intro story to like help you get interested in who they are. And I actually like to do the exact opposite of that and start with silence just to make you super uncomfortable. But actually it's because I know that for a lot of us, Sundays feel just like the rest of the week and they just feel like running from one thing to the next and noise, 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 noise. And it is so difficult sometimes just to find a moment to sit and take a few deep breaths and to get settled into the place we are instead of the place we've come from or the place that we're going. So I don't know if the music already gave you a chance to do that, but if it didn't, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. So I want to invite you to close your eyes or leave them open, whichever you feel comfortable. Take some nice, deep breaths. I'm going to stop talking, I promise. And then after a little bit of silence, I will pray to enter us into the message time. God, I thank you for the noises of children during our time of silence and the reminder that is of your joy, the fact that so much is out of our control and that's as it should be, and just the way that you work in silence and noise, the way that you work in community and when we are by ourselves, you are always at work in this world. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to whatever it is you have for us in your words today, even if it's not something that I say, but something you speak through the spaces. We pray that you would speak this morning and that we would hear. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, next warning about me as a guest speaker. That was warning number one that I start with silence. Uh, warning number two. Um, Rob, I can't actually get this to work. <laughs> Warning number two, I don't know how long my message is, and Rob gave me a great little timer to like, help me make sure that you guys don't stay here for 45 minutes or an hour, and it doesn't work, so I can just keep you here forever, because I don't know how, there, okay, now it's going. Um, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> um, okay, so next uh, kind of warning and just what to expect this morning is I love to be interactive when I teach. And if any of you have read any books by Parker Palmer, he's someone who trains teachers, and he often talks about how um, some of our greatest strengths as teachers is also our liabilities. And so I want to warn you that this is both my strength and my liability, that I'm going to ask you questions and hope and expect that you respond. And that makes it fun and interactive, and it's one of my strengths. But it's also my weakness, because if you don't respond, I will probably tank. Uh, because I absorb the energy from this room. So if you are sitting and staring at me and not giving me energy back, this will not go well for any of us. So help me out. <laughs> Give me your energy when I ask some questions. And here's really where this comes from in questions. Is uh, I go to Genesis Covenant in St. Paul, or in St. Paul, in St. Louis Park, and uh, we do these kinds of questions. And one of the phrases that's used that I love is that the voice of the chorus can bring so much more than the voice of the solo. And I really believe that as I ask these questions, as we have the chance to respond, there's something that can happen in our interaction together that'll be different than what I could bring uh, by myself. 
So I'm going to start with sort of an easy punt, get us warmed up to this sort of interaction. If you were here last week, um, Rob actually started a conversation about this kind of thing. And it's the idea of uh, what you would ask for if you had... uh, if you're given the opportunity to ask for anything you want. And I want to ask it in this context. Um, so it's a common question that you ask, uh, kids talk about and things. What would you do if you were given three wishes? What would you wish for? So I want you to think about when you were younger, what would you say in response to that question? Shout some things out. If you could get, have three wishes, what would you wish for? Get better at art. Get better at art. Awesome. Toys. toys. Absolutely. Any specific toys? <laughs> Depends upon the kid. How about with you when you were a kid? Yeah, okay, any, anything, any, any sort of toy. I probably, more wishes. Oh, yes, anyone else in this room try to play? Oh, for sure, I would ask for three more wishes if I had a genie pop up. Awesome. Anything, yeah, what would you wish for? <laughs> it is a pressure question, isn't it? What would you wish for if you were given a wish? I don't know, there's so many options. Can you think of something? Will you tell me afterwards if you think of it? Okay, perfect. Anything else? Yeah. More hope. What did you say? To be able to sing. Oh, how many of us? Is it something I hear that already? Oh, to have something that I don't feel like I have now, but I really long for. Yes. So, yeah, one more. Oh, and all clumped into one wish so you don't use up the other wishes. And a never-diminishing supply of cash. Amen. Let's close the message. (laughs) So there's a famous story about me, famous in my family, from when I was in first grade. We had this assignment in first grade. What would you wish for if you had three wishes? And my three wishes were a cure for cancer. I mean, come on. I just knew how to play the crowd. Like, I was a first grader. Cure for cancer. A cure for cystic fibrosis. My dad was a volunteer with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, so I actually knew what that was <laughs> and wanted a cure for that. And so here I sound like, oh my gosh, what kind of first grader is this? What's she going to do with her life? My third wish was eggs for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I was a mixed bag. <laughs> so we're all of us. Oh, at least one came true, says Stephen here in the front. That's right. I have had eggs for breakfast since that time. My wish was granted. So, uh, so we are in a wisdom series, or you guys are in a wisdom series here, and it started last week with Rob, and today I'm going to start off by talking about Solomon, who, if you were here last week, he talked about a little bit, and the beginning of Solomon's story feels a bit like that question when we read it just on the surface. It feels like God is doing this kind of genie-in-a-bottle moment for Solomon, if you're familiar with the story. So this story is in 1 Kings 3. If you have a Bible and want a page along, or otherwise it will also be up on the screen. 1 Kings 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. I mean, this is even in a dream, come on. By night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. I picked this translation on purpose because it says it in a particular way that is a little better. If anyone has a Bible, does anyone have a Bible open? Does anyone's Bible say something different than that for what God says to Solomon if you've got it open? That's not a fair question because they didn't make you have a Bible open. So if you don't, it's okay. (laughs) 
Okay, ask, okay, so that's, that's a little different. Ask for whatever you want is how that starts. <laughs> but it says at the end, for me to give you. So we read this quickly. Ask, it sounds like, ask for whatever you want, Solomon. Come on, it's yours. It's the three wishes. Wish for th- more wishes. We got this. But the Hebrew phrasing becomes pretty important. It actually is, ask, what do I want to give to you? So God asks questions throughout the scripture, and when he does, it points to something that God is trying to teach the people in that story at that moment and giving them an opportunity to respond to his question and to see something about where they are and where God is and what it will look like to move forward together. So in the garden, Adam and Eve, everything's great, then they screw up, God's in the garden, God says, where are you? God asks a question. What has happened? Where are you? Where are we in relationship? Let's name this moment in time, Adam, and let's move forward. Cain and Abel. Another thing goes awry. A brother dies, and God comes in, and God asks a question. Where is your brother? So here we are in a moment in time for Solomon. He's taking over the throne of his father, David, who was the greatest king that Israel had ever seen. Everybody loved David. And Solomon is taking over, and he's a teenager. There's a big shift happening, and God comes in and gives Solomon a question to think about. What do I want to give to you? So um, I am a parent. I have two boys. They are six and nine. And um, sometimes when they have a hard day, I mean, not that that ever happens. They're angels and perfect. But um, let's say hypothetically that they have a hard day (laughs) and we have some consequences throughout the day and they have some timeouts and just frustration and anger. On those days when they are going to bed, I have a habit of doing this with them. I ask them a string of questions. I say, Cameron, do I love you when you're angry? He says, yes. And he usually rolls his eyes while saying that. He's the nine-year-old. Do I love you when you're happy? Yes. Do I love you when you're sad? Yes. Do I love you when you disobey? Yes. And I just keep asking over and over again, do I love you when you do what I ask? Do I love you when you run away? Do I love you when you give me a hug? And he says yes over and over and over again. And it moves from the eye roll to sort of a shy smile and usually ends in a hug because I'm giving him the opportunity to remember who he is and who I am and what it means to be in relationship with each other. And I'm doing that by asking him a question. So I wonder, for you, if God were to come to you in a dream and ask you the same question that God asked Solomon, what your response would be. What do you think, if you look deep in your heart, what do you think God wants to give to you? Do you think that he wants to give you prosperity? Do you think he wants to give you judgment? Do you think he wants to give you shame? 
Do you think he wants to give you love? This question is an opportunity to say, what do I believe about who God is and how God feels about me and how God wants to be with me as I walk towards the future? So let's see how Solomon responds to this question. Verses 6 and 7, 1 Kings 3. Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on this throne to this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am but a little child and do not know how to go out or come in. Here's another all play question How do you feel on your first day of a new job? Nervous? Okay, what else? Scared? Overwhelmed? Yes. Anxious? Excited, good, someone feels positive on their first day of a new job, that's good. (laughs) Any other feelings come up? Like a sponge, oh, ready to absorb all of the things, yes. Invincible, all right, so we have a mix even right here in this room. Some people are feeling anxious, some people are feeling invincible, and I bet a lot of us feel a little bit of both depending on how the conversations go throughout that day. So this is Solomon's first day on the job. And he's a human and probably feels any of those feelings we would feel. And his job is to lead God's people, like no pressure. (laughs) And his job is to lead those people after the best king that has ever led them. Again, no pressure. (laughs) So when God asks him this question, he looks inward with honesty and says, you know what? God, right now in time, I know where I am. And it's a wise person who can name where they are. He says, I know where I am. I'm on my first day of this new job, and I do not know how to do it. I'm a teenager. I've got a big thing in front of me. You have got to help me, God. I do not know how to go out or come in. I'm but a little child. But before he says that, he does something else that's so good. He says, he starts with the past. All right, God, you've asked me what I want. Let me start by thinking about what I know to be true about you. What I know to be true about you is that you are a faithful God. You were faithful to my father, David. I know this is your character. So, since that is your character and I am sitting in this place of not knowing what to do. That's my starting point. He also knows what his place is in this whole thing. Because what he names isn't that, I don't know what to do, please protect me. He says, I am standing in front of this great people of yours. This is about you, God. This is about your people. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do, but I know you are a faithful God. So let's start by declaring all of those things. 
And then he gets into his actual request. He says, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this good people, great people? Um, what word? This is a closed-ended question, so it's a little bit of a trick question. Anyone see a missing word here that you might expect when you hear, okay, Solomon prays for wisdom. The word wisdom is not actually in Solomon's request. And this translation is a little bit of a trick on purpose because this almost sounds like we would expect it to sound. Give me an understanding mind, which kind of sounds like wisdom. But... What Solomon actually asks for is a hearing heart. A Shema Leb. Give your servant a hearing, listening heart. When do you feel heard? When you talk. Excellent. Maybe let's get more specific. (laughs) Okay, when you talk and someone else is there, hopefully, (laughs) um, what makes you feel heard in terms of what that other person does in response to your talking? Eye contact, contact. great. What else? Oh, repeating back what you said, excellent. Empathy, yes. What else? What makes you feel feel heard? Silence. Silence. What'd you say? Follow-up question, yes. Give me some more detail to what you said. Excellent. Not jumping to conclusions or advice. Ouch. (laughs) That is one that I do. Yes, but that's so true, right? You want that other person to listen before they try to give advice. Not being interrupted, that's right. Action, body language. So Solomon asked to have a heart that when God speaks is responsive with action, is paying attention and is not distracted, is giving eye contact and being fully open to what God is saying, is being empathetic and understanding who God is and what God wants and is connecting on that emotional level is willing to be silent when silence is required in order to pay attention. He's asking for all of those things to be going on internally with him in his relationship with God because of what that will mean for how he leads God's people. And he asks for an understanding heart, a hearing heart, in order to discern between good and evil. And I want to know, I forgot to ask Rob this ahead of time, um, has Rob talked about the word tov? with you guys. Does that sound familiar? Okay. So if it is familiar, you can dive in and like have this be a repeat. Otherwise, it might be new because what he asks for, for what his heart needs to hear is super important for what we are called to do with our lives and what it means to live that out. So the word good, what do you think of when you hear the word good in English? God. God. Okay, great. What else? Acceptable. Yes. I've heard some people, when I've asked this question before, some people are like, meh. Like, not great, not terrible. Eh, That's good. (laughs) What else? Obedient. I 
feel like it's often put forth as like a moral thing, like you're good, you're not evil, you're moral, you're not immoral. Disobedience would be the evil part. Obedience, disobedience, is that what you're saying? Sometimes disobedience is good. Oh, yeah, oh, now you're getting really underneath layers. Okay, well, so let's take that and let's go with it. So what happens in the scriptures is there's often a lot more going on with a word than what we see on the surface, especially in Hebrew, because Hebrew goes back to just a few hundred root words, and those root words are all verbs, and they're used in this very broad and expansive way when we look back into them. And a good way to kind of get at the heart of a word is to look at the first times that word is used. So if you guys, so this is a chance, if you grew up doing like Bible quizzing or that kind of thing, this is a chance to like show off your Bible knowledge. Anyone know which book of the Bible has the first use of the word good? Genesis, Genesis, that's right. Anyone know what chapter of the Bible has the first use of the word good? One, One. Genesis one. This word goes all the way back to beginning. Excellent, good Bible quizzing, thousand points. So Genesis one And what we're going to look at is verses 11 through 12, because these are the verses God says with each day of creation that things are good, but day three, when this is taking place, is the first day that God actually creates a thing. The beginning, the first day is light and darkness, the second day is space, and on this third day, God actually begins the process of creating the life that will be on this planet. And it's a great day to look into what is God really saying when he's saying that something is good. So, Genesis 1, 11 through 12. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in, wh- in, their <coughs> in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So, first question. What does God actually say? This is just a chance. If you haven't talked yet, this is a chance to literally just read four words. We're the first four words that God says. Let, or, sorry, oh, you are just, you know, more points for going back to the beginning. In this verse, what does God say? So you said it, Michelle, what is it? Let the earth sprout. So God is creating plants, and what he actually says is let the earth sprout, which means, this is a little trickier question, what does God create? Life, yes, but I heard it over here. Seed, right, do you see that? If he says, let the earth sprout, what God creates in that moment is seed, which is so beautiful, you guys, because from the very beginning of life on this planet, God invited the earth to partner with him in the act of creation. God didn't just say, let there be oak trees. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And I love thinking about anyone a gardener in here? We've got a couple gardeners. Anyone know uh, about hydrangeas? Anyone? Okay. Uh, tell me, okay, a little bit, but you might know enough to know the answer to this one. How is a hydrangea's color determined? Acidity. Acidity. Oh, you know it right here. Okay. Do you know more than that? <laughs> what, color is, what color is a hydrangea if the soil is acidic? What color is a hydrangea if the soil is basic? Pink. 
Hydrangeas, color is determined by the soil. And I kind of picture God right in the beginning of things saying, okay, earth, here's my seeds. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to make those hydrangeas blue or are you going to make them pink? Join with me in this adventure of what it means to create life. Let's go. So he says, let the earth sprout vegetation. But then at what point in this passage do we see God call it good? Is it good when that plant becomes full grown? Oh, I heard it over here. When they reproduce, they are called good, not just when they are grown, not just when they have fruit, but when they have fruit with seeds in it ready to bring that next generation of plants into the world. There's this idea from the beginning of what it means to be good is to bring life. And not just to bring life, but to bring life that brings life, that brings life, that brings life, that continues to partner with, that, with God in the act of bringing the goodness of his life-giving creation to this world. So Solomon says... Give me a hearing heart that I may discern between that which is good, that which brings life, that brings life, that brings life, that brings life with your people, and that which is evil. And the Hebrew word for evil is ra, which literally means to shatter something. Help me see the difference between what will keep the progression of your life and goodness moving forward in this world and that which will shatter the progression of your life and goodness in this world. So tov, this idea of this life, 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 is if God has seeds within the earth that he's saying, come on, bring it forth. How much more does he have those seeds in us as his children? Where he's saying, come on, I've got some stuff in you, bring it forth into this world. You can do that. Solomon, as God's leader, is asking for the wisdom for how to help that happen with others. And I think his prayer is a great one for us to follow. If we are parents, if we have any sort of leadership position at all, any influence over others, to pray, God, give me a hearing heart that I may discern through your voice what is tov, what is good for me and for those around me, and that I might bring that into the world over and over and over again and discern the difference between that and not what's going to stop the life around me. Sadly, though, Solomon, though he asked for a hearing heart, and though God, you can see it in his, God's response, God was pleased with Solomon's request, and we could see, we can understand why that would be. God, Solomon understands so well what is required in that moment. He knows he's overwhelmed by the job. He knows that God is faithful, and he knows that the trick to doing this job, the key is going to be to have a hearing heart to discern what is good. But Solomon loses his hearing heart throughout his life. The next chapter after this, he's got a great kind of display of what that sort of understanding of what wisdom is looks like. And there's other things that he does, but then it kind of starts to tank. And I think the reason has to do with a proverb. And it's Proverbs 4.23. It's 
rather famous proverb, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. There are two Hebrew words interplaying with this uh, verse. And they're both words for keep and guard. The um, keep your heart, that's the word natsar. And then with all vigilance, it doesn't actually say vigilance, it's another word for keep. So that's like emphasizing it, like keep your heart, keep, keep it again. <clears throat> and the word there is mishmar, and the root of that is shamar, which is a really key sort of thread that runs through the scriptures of what it means to shamar something. The first use of that is also in Genesis, Genesis 2.15. So after Adam and Eve are in the garden, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, to work it and to shamar it. So again, we had a couple gardeners in the room. What does it mean to keep a garden? Pull weeds, great. What else does it mean to keep a garden? Water, fertilizer, pruning, yes, sunlight, great. Keep the rabbits out, to plant things, yes. Dig up what's dead. To, te to what? Tend, to what? Help it grow, right. So if I decide, you know what, I would really love to have a garden. I'm gonna go put some seeds back there and then I'm gonna go on vacation for three months. How would that go? It would be dead when I get back because probably it's gonna not get enough sun, it's not gonna get enough water, rabbits might eat it, the soil might to be turned up. The, what? the weeds will choke it because no one will be there to pull out those weeds. It takes work to tend and keep a garden. So this proverb is saying, you need to do that with your heart because your heart will not stay a listening heart if you treat it like a garden that you plant and just walk away. You need to keep it, you need to guard it, you need to tend it. And the interplay actually with Natsar and Shamar that's happening in this verse is that Natsar, that first word for keep there, is actually even more specific than Shamar. And so if you are a parent, do your kids have the exact same personalities? <laughs> no. Um, it's actually, it's kind of the thing, isn't it, where you have one kid and you're like, I've got this parenting thing down. <laughs> I know it. And then you have another kid and you're like, what in the world? All the rules just changed. <laughs> How do I parent this personality? And then I can't even imagine, I only have two kids. As you get beyond that, like, what do you even do when you get more than two kids? Just wing it. Wing it, <laughs> wing it give up, right? <laughs> so if you are a parent trying to guard and keep your kids, you don't treat all of your kids the same. You get to know them specifically. And you say, I know that this kid needs me more hands-on. This kid needs me more hands-off. This kid needs a few extra hugs in a day. This kid needs a little bit more information. You get to know your child and what specifically will keep and guard that child as the parent. And that's the word being used, for, that's what Natsar is. Don't just generally kind of guard your heart like a garden and pull the weeds, that's great, but that's only step one. Step two is to know what specifically do I have planted in that garden and what does that specific plant need in order to be tended well. 
So what does it mean for you specifically to guard and keep your specific heart so that it can remain a listening heart that can discern between good and evil? One of the things that I love to work with is the Enneagram, and if you actually saw my bio in there, I probably, again, unlike a typical um, guest, path, guest preacher thing, was like, here's my flaws, I'll put that in my bio. <laughs> so what I said in there is I'm a recovering people pleaser <laughs> with a savior complex. Because I know that that is what happens in my heart, with, and my and Enneagram is the thing that's helped me name that. And so I know in order to keep and guard my heart, I have to watch for pride. I have to watch for my desire to help everybody else with their needs while denying that I have any needs. I need to learn that true giving and receiving of love means giving and receiving. I need to know that if soon as I try to earn love, it will not actually be love. And that's what I need to work on and keep and guard in my relationship with God, and it's what I need to work and keep and guard in my relationship with others. That is my specific way that I need to guard and keep my heart, is to watch out for those things and to tend those things and then keep praying to God to have that listening heart. So I want to ask you today to think about what are those things for you? What would it look like for you to guard your heart so that it can stay open like that tended soil for those seeds that God is putting in it for you and for others to bring that life and goodness into the world? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the example that we see in Solomon and what Solomon does to ask for wisdom and what it means to have a hearing, listening, receptive heart. Pray that you would help us to look inward and know what it means for us specifically to have guarded hearts, to know what it is that could keep us from listening well to you and loving you and others well to tend those things so that we may discern between good and evil and move towards good. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.